This is Matt Hardy, and you are listening to the VOC Nation. VOC Nation Radio Network, Wrestling with History, the voice of choice, Bruce Wirt, Killer Ken Resnick, back again as we take a journey back into the 1980s. That's right. That's what this show does every week. We started with 1983, and in long form, we're going all the way through many of you out there, either your childhood or your 20s or your 30s. If it was your 40s, uh, maybe we're getting a, you're, you're getting a little advanced. You're probably not listening to podcasts. But we're having a lot of fun doing it. Ken and I are reaching back into our memory banks. And you can hear this show, not just right here at VOCNation.com, if that's where you're listening. But you can get this podcast anywhere your favorite podcasts are heard so apple stitcher spotify google play wherever you like it just subscribe and then if uh, if that particular venue lets you do it give us comments we love the five star ratings that helps us to grow and we are growing by leaps and bounds so we host on a place called Podomatic, and in terms of Podomatic, and they host tens of thousands of podcasts. I think I've seen the rankings go as deep as into the 40,000s. We were number 32 overall today of all of the podcasts out there, number one in terms of professional wrestling. So thank you, all of you that have been tuning in week after week in the tens of thousands, uh, not just us, but thanks for all from all of the VOC Nation personalities. Killer Ken and I here on Wednesdays. You got the Stro WCW Retro with Maestro on Thursday. Uh, Brady Hicks in the room on Tuesday night. Shelly Martinez with uh, Shelly Live also on Tuesdays. Sassy Stephanie, uh, the newest Sassy Steffi, the newest member of the bunch with Talking Sass. And she had a great uh, conversation with Shane Taylor from Ring of Honor. Don't miss that if you're uh, a big wrestling fan and also you follow politics. Uh, Shane talked about some of the social injustices that are happening in the world today so lots of great programming on voc nation wrestling with problems with king david lane chicago comedian extraordinaire i'm uh, i'm gonna miss some people so i better stop trying to name names but killer ken we're back again and after that long commercial uh i'll let you say hello hello <laughs> hey VOC Nation, number 32 amongst uh, podcasts, uh, our, our small tribute to the great Sandy Koufax. <laughs> there you go. What other nerd, number 32s were there? Uh, to, Steve Carlton was also a number 32, wasn't he? Lefty. Uh, um, I don't know. I think he was. <laughs> you, 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 you're the big Philly fan, but... Uh, I had a chance to, to once meet uh, Sandy Koufax, so that's why I remember that Sandy was number 32. Wasn't, uh, wasn't, was Magic Johnson number 32? Yeah, I believe he was. I believe he was. We'll have to get some fans out there to give us some tweets on uh, number 32s that were significant in the world. And you can tweet us 
at Bruce VOC will get you right to this show. So the network is at VOC Nation. I encourage you to follow. And uh, our Twitter, my Twitter is at Bruce VOC. You can get to Ken or I with that handle. Give us your tweets. Give us your comments, your feedback on the show. Or if you see our show, so we're constantly scanning the wrestling websites and looking for your comments. And uh, we like that. So if you give us comments on Twitter, you give us comments to, uh, via email, Bruce at VOCNation.com, or you leave your comment on one of those wrestling sites, we'll find you. And last week, Ken, we talked about 1984, and we, we got, as we continue to go through 1984 and we got a lot of feedback uh, we talked about vince mcmahon paying talent to uh to maybe break their contracts or making it very difficult for them to serve out their notice we talked about hulk hogan's title win on a monday night in madison square garden talked about your relationship with gorilla monsoon got a lot of good feedback but before we get into that <laughs> one of the big things and this is going back to 83 i believe uh there's a very famous dog collar match, Roddy Piper and Greg Valentine from 83. And they tried to recreate that on AEW last week. And I just want to get your, your thoughts. You know, we're both old school people, dog collar match. So it wasn't Roddy Piper and Greg Valentine. But what did you think of the dog collar match with Valentine in the stands on AEW last week? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is I think it's very – Apropos, since we're talking about the 80s, and as you mentioned, we're scanning, just like Wide World of Sports, we're scanning the globe for comments. Scanning the globe. <laughs> um, I, I thought the match itself uh, between Cody Rhodes and Brody Lee w was really good. It was entertaining. Uh, from an announcer standpoint, uh, I'm uh, a fan of Jim Ross's. Uh, Jim calls the match. It's wrestling, but he still, you know, calls what he sees. When there were some great spots, he called those. When there were a couple spots that were missed or somebody was on the top rope and it was a little shaky, he called that. Uh, Cody's uh, dog collar loosened up. He acknowledged that. Uh, he did a, a great job, but overall, uh, especially where wrestling today is, is trending towards, you know, more high spot after high spot after high spot where they do it so quick, you know, you, you can't even invest in what you just saw. I, I thought it was a really good match, but after the match, it, it, it kind of crystallized to, to me the, the difference between wrestling in the 80s and, and 90s, as you know, we've been talking about on Wrestling With History, and the wrestling of today. And I thought back, even back in the AWA, when a lot of times, uh, like we mentioned, you know, Madison Square Garden, it was just logical that Hawk would win the title because, you know, the garden was really kind of the WWF's home arena. Right. Uh, the St. Paul Civic Center was really the, the home arena to the AWA. And we would do monthly house shows. And after the house shows, a lot of times, we would actually tape interviews and acknowledge they were being done for 
you know, the <clears throat> next week's TV, but being done, you know, right after the matches at the Civic Center. And in, in fact, a lot of times we would show the, the clock on the dressing room wall behind us would sometimes be, you know, after midnight. Um, and in those days, if there was, you know, blood or <clears throat> juicing in the match, the wrestlers w- would wait <clears throat> so that, you know, that same, you know, quote unquote, bloody mess would, would the fans would see them on the interviews. Uh, and, and to me, I, I was a, a little dumbfounded, <clears throat> you know, after a very, very good match, uh, Brody Lee and his entourage leave and <clears throat> Cody Rhodes is, you know, he's got some people, uh, his wife joins him and he's going to do a, an in-ring interview, you know, right after the match. And he didn't leave or come back. It was immediately following the match. Um, and he kind of toweled off and he comes on to, to do the interview and I mean, there's not a drop of blood visible. And it, it's like, if you are really cut, you're going to see some blood still somewhere around the cut right. and just, you know, wiped off. And, you know, other than kind of a, a puffy eye, there was just no markings emblematic of what had supposedly just taken place. And, after in in real life and thinking back to the great dog collar match between you know the late great Roddy Piper and, and Greg Valentine, I mean they were just exhausted. Right. You know they could barely stand. And here's Cody doing this, you know, great passionate interview talking about all these things, much like it would be in just a normal interview if he had just walked out and hadn't just finished this you know, grueling, devastating match. And then towards the end, uh, you know, uh, I, I apologize, and this is no disrespect uh, to, to the character. You know, I, I think about the, the orange uh, juice matches he's had with Chris Jericho. So, you know, orange juice, it's not his name. I, I just can't orange think Cassidy. of it. Orange Cassidy. Orange Cassidy. Thank you. <clears throat> you know, he comes kind of walking out and – Cody's talking about, you know, defending the title. And now he comes walking out and challenges him and he immediately accepts for, for next week. And that's how they go off. And I'm thinking you've been building up and promoing. You had this devastating, supposedly dog collar match and and you don't really give the fans, you know, even a couple minutes to kind of invest in themselves and digest what's taken place you're already moved on to something, you know, totally unrelated. And I thought to myself, that's maybe one of the reasons that, you know, ratings and and viewership uh, of wrestling is, is down some because it's become this kind of, you know, instant gratification entertainment where a lot of the, you know, psychology and, and, and building up to things and, and paying them off and letting fans talk about it for weeks is just doesn't exist anymore. It's just like, boom, done, you know, wash their hands on to the next one. Yeah, Ken, it's, it's interesting. And I think that's why this show has done so well. And if you look at 
uh, Conrad Thompson shows with uh, Arn Anderson, Bruce Pritchard, Jim Ross, you know, they do well when they talk about the 80s and the, the 90s when it was, it was, things were more believable. And, and even if people knew that it was a predetermined event, they still s- could suspend their, their disbelief for just a few hours while they're watching the match because the guys and, and the ladies really played into it and they really tried to make people believe and now it's almost like they acknowledge especially in aew and i'm not picking on aew because i I don't want any aew haters to attack my family um (laughs) but aew especially they they just acknowledge its performance art and they go out there and they flip around and they try to um do a whole bunch of high spots and you know at the end that's like okay, we're done. We gave you guys a great match and now we're going to be over it and we'll do the next thing. And it's, it's just, it's not the same. They're not trying to make it believable. Well, you know what else, Bruce? And I don't think we've ever really talked about this, you know, you and I on the show, but I think one of the other big differences is in the eighties and nineties, the bookers would, you know, book matches and, you know, book an angle, but it was still a lot of it rested with the, the wrestlers, the talent themselves to take that booking, that angle, that match, and, and still make it their own and build on it. Right. Because back then, they, they would kind of start off an angle and then depending on how the wrestlers handled it, you know, where they took it, how they built on it, they judge the fans reaction and either continue to, to build to this crescendo or if it didn't get over for whatever reason, kind of back off it. Um, and I think in today's business, <clears throat> The, the bookers book a match, book an angle, but there's really no time for the wrestlers involved to really take that booking or angle and, and make it their own. It, it's like, it's just, you know, instant gratification, do it this way, and then we're going to do, do that regardless of what happens. And I, I think the fact that the talent, especially the really great talent just doesn't have the the time or the ability and not referring to to their talent level but the ability in terms of time from the booker or the promotion to take that where they want it to go or to build on it you know it it's like a finite this is what we're doing this is how you're going to do it then this is what's going to happen next well, I think it's that. And then, you know, I think there's a lot of people and, and Jim Ross being one of them that say that 50, 50 booking ruined wrestling. You know, remember back in the era that we're talking about on TV, it was squash matches. So most of what we saw were the big names getting over and looking like monsters because they would squash uh, the local, the local jobbers every, every week on TV. And then, at the house shows, there'd be, there'd be a payoff, but 
on TV, for the most part, when there was a quote-unquote main event match, it was uh, a throwout. It was a disqualification or a countout or some schmas that, that didn't really have an outcome. And because of that, stars were made because people um, – you know, you look at somebody like the Honky Tonk Man. For for he held the Intercontinental Championship for over a year in the late '80s, and um, you know, a guy that was basically a mid carter, but he looked unstoppable because uh, he would come out and win all these squash matches, and in the meantime, he he annoy the the crap out of you. And um, I think that's kind of missing in today's product. It's fifty fifty. You know, uh, A beats B this week, and then B goes over A next week, and um, we're just trying to have matches and I guess they they do that so that there's, you know, some element of, well, I don't know. You never know who's going to win, but I don't know if I care. <laughs> well, I, I think a lot of it, you know, back, <clears throat> especially, you know, into the early to, to mid eighties, it was <clears throat> television was, you, you had your wrestling fans that were going to be watching the program and the whole focus at that point was to build a star, but induce the fan to buying a ticket to see the really good matches at the house show. You know, that was really the focus of television in the, you know, early to mid eighties, you had your fans watching and the goal was to induce them to go buy a ticket to the house show in their market because there weren't pay-per-views yet or anything else. And now the really almost sole focus of television is to get ratings. You know, the advertising dollar, and we've talked about it. I mean, Vince had the foresight to, to see what television could become in terms of an huge advertising revenue. But that's the difference now. And I mean, right now, there are no house shows for them to even go buy tickets for. But the whole focus is different. It's like almost any other, you know, sitcom or drama on the networks. It's all to get ratings because that's where your advertising revenue and dollars are are based on. So it's, it's almost like two different products. That you know the the focus is 180 degrees today from what it was back then. It's me, it's me, it's the D O double G, the road dog Jesse James, and by my side as always is that B A double D A double crooked letter badass Billy Gunn. Together we are the New Age Outlaws, and you're listening to the V O C Nation. And if you ain't down with that, he's got two words for you: suck it. VOC Nation provides live daily streaming shows where fans have the ability to interact with the hosts and guests by phone call, email, and Twitter. VOC Nation hosts include the legendary Ken Resnick, who you probably remember from the AWA and WWE, former WCW performer, the Maestro, Wes Briscoe, who you probably remember from Impact, Brady Hicks, who you remember from Pro Wrestling Illustrated, former WWE and TNA star Shelly Martinez, and former Philly radio personality Bruce Wirt. VOC Nation's two most popular shows are Wrestling With History, featuring Ken Resnick and Bruce Wirt, streaming live on Wednesday nights at 9.30 Eastern, and of course In The Room, featuring Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Brady Hicks and WCW alum The Maestro. And by the way, both of these shows take callers live during the show. 
What are you waiting for? Go listen live right now at VOCNation.com and subscribe to all of our podcasts by searching for VOC Nation Radio Network on your favorite podcast app. Oh, and follow them on Twitter too, at VOC Nation. I want to ask, um, I want to ask a, a question of you, and then I want to ask the people a question. And then speaking of questions, we'll, we'll get into some of the, the questions and comments from last week's show. But, Ken, if, if Hulk Hogan was subject to 50-50 booking, and, you know, he's on TV, and instead of squash matches, he's <laughs> winning some and he's losing some. And, you know, this week he beats Bob Orton Jr., and next week he loses to Don Morocco. Uh, does Hulk Hogan get over as the Hulk Hogan that we ended up coming to know? Uh, no, but th- that's no reflection or any disrespect whatsoever to Hulk. But, I mean, it, it, it's no different than any, you know, pro sports team. You know, in, in, in any sport, if you're a 500 team, you know, you have your loyal fan base, but, you know, you don't really build a national audience. Um, you know, when, like, you know, not so much this season so far, but in past, you know, if if Alabama or Clemson or, like, last year LSU is playing, they're one of the great teams out there. And, you know, people are tuning in to watch this, you know, almost – perfection of a team i mean same thing you know we saw it for years and years uh in women's college basketball <laughs> you know and i was one if uconn you know i saw that you know the uconn women's team was going to be on espn i tried to tune in because they were just that good right. and you wanted to watch them i mean you know living in minnesota uh you know i just i i wasn't a fan of the University of Connecticut. I, I had, you know, no connection or a reason to be. But they were so good, you know, I wanted to watch them. And I, I think it's it's like anything else. When someone is so good, fans from other sports that weren't necessarily wrestling fans <clears throat> tuned in to see Hulk Hogan. And it's it's also fair to say, you know, even, you know, with Hulk, you know, always going over, always winning, if Hulk had not had the charisma, the passion, the, the interviews, the look, you know, all that booking couldn't have made him as great as he was without all the other factors. But you're right. If, if it had been, you know, if he wins some, he lose some, he wins some, he lose some. You're just not going to build that kind of fan base. Um, I, I don't care what you know any sport it is. If you're rooting for your team and they lose, you lose a little bit of your passion, at least until you know they they come back and win again. So yeah, I mean if Hulk had been a uh, forced to endure a, a 50-50 booking, uh, given his look, his talent, his passion, his mic abilities, he still would have been big, but I don't think as huge. But you could say that for, you know, just about any of the great stars. that right. They benefited from that, you know, 
in those days. Now, what I want to ask the people uh, before we get to some questions from, from last week is, for next week, Ken and I want to recreate 1984 as if Hulk Hogan wasn't in the WWF yet. So what if Hogan, and we're not going to pretend like he never came, but just for 1984, what if Hulk Hogan, Vern had found a way to get Hogan to come back from the Japan tour and continue with the AWA? What does the AWA look like in 84? What does WWF look like in 84? And would that have changed anything that happened with Jim Crockett promotions and the rest of the NWA? I want to know your feedback. Tweet me at Bruce VOC. Uh, email, and if, if you have something in long form, we'd, we'd love to see as, as detailed as you want to get. Bruce at VOCNation.com. B-R-U-C-E at VOCNation.com. V-O-C, voice of choice. So do that. And Ken, that's what you and I will talk about next week. We're going to pretend like 1984, like Hulkamania in the WWF was delayed. What happens in that territory? I think it'll be fun. And uh, listen, you know, there's only so uh, many episodes we can do if we go one year at a time, one week (laughs) at a time. So this is fun. The fans seem to really love this format. They love going back in time and living this through with us. So we're going to stretch this out a little while. So those of you waiting for 85 or, you know, the crown jewel of 1987, you're going to have to hang with us just a little bit longer. All right. Uh, let's get to some comments from last week before. Um, I, I, what we want to do today is recap some of the other significant events. We spent a lot of time on Hulk Hogan, but there's a lot of other monumental things that have happened in 84. But let's get to some comments. Lord Regal says, uh, he, he quotes you, Ken, uh, you said last week, the one problem that AEW has, everyone now has national exposure. It's not like they can pick out unknowns and make them big stars. So Lord Regal says, I'm not sure I agree with that. Wrestling on the indies, even with a strong reputation like Warhorse or even Orange Cassidy, <laughs> isn't going to give you anywhere near the exposure of being on national TV. I'll freely admit to not being the biggest follower of the indies, but AEW has done a great job of making Orange Cassidy and MJF into extremely well-known wrestlers at a national level, even if they're not quite at star level yet. So I'm trying to unpack that. I think what Lord Regal is saying is he's, uh, you said that it's very hard to pick out unknowns and make them big stars. So he's challenging you and saying that AEW has done that with uh, Orange Juice and, uh, and MJF. Um, I, I agree with Lord Regal, but at the same time, he also kind of made my point where he said, and I agree, AEW has done a a very good job of pushing MJF and Orange Cassidy, but even Lord Regal said, even though they're not big stars. So, I I mean, he, 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 he made his point, and I agree with him, but he also made my point that there you go, that they've, you know, these guys, they, they have certainly given them, you know, every push in the world. I, I mean, you know, I, I, I still follow the sport. Don't follow, you know, indies around the country that much because I mean, it, it, it's sometimes a little difficult to, but 
a lot of people, I mean, Orange Cassidy came and they gave him this huge push. You know, he had these great matches with, with Chris Jericho, which, I mean, you know, is a push by association, if, right. if nothing else. But then Lord Rigo went on to say, you know, even this great push and everything else, even though they're still not big stars. So, you know, uh, it's like, I agree with you, Lord Rigo, and Lord Rigo, thank you for making my point. I, I was going to say, Ken, it's almost like you could argue that independent of AEW, um, remember back in the day, TNA on Spike TV used to do big numbers, bigger numbers than what AEW does on Wednesday nights on TNT. You could argue that it's not even AEW that's get making Orange Cassidy and MJF stars, quote unquote, but TNT is making Orange Cassidy and MJF stars. You know, these guys are getting TV time every week on a major cable network. And I mean, that's, that's uh, not a small factor in the whole deal. Oh, it's a huge factor, but, you know, they're getting major cable exposure and prime time, but they're also getting the big push from the promotion. And, again, even with those, you know, two factors, uh, Lord Regal said, even though they're not big stars. So it's just it, – it's harder today – because, you know, in some ways, of, of you know, <clears throat> wrestling, if you think about it, the hours that wrestling is now, you know, on TV, you know, if you, you know, factor in Ring of Honor, uh, <clears throat> I, 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 I know TNA is, is there. I think they've gone through a couple name changes, so I don't want to miss the name. You can still see uh, New Japan is, is on AXS. Uh, I, I mean, it, it's just, it, it, it's out there. And I mean, if you factor in the new programming every week, that's also on WWE network, I, I mean, there's probably five to 10 times the amount of weekly wrestling program today that there was, you know, certainly in the mid eighties or early nineties. Sure. Well, and, and I'm looking at this. So, I mean, AEW draws between, you see, you know, generally between 700 and uh, 700,000 and a million viewers on a week by week basis. And I'm looking at, at just, just look back at the, the uh, TNA product impact, whatever you want to call it. Um, back to going back to 2007 um you know i'm seeing the same ratings the same viewership ones 0.9 i mean consistently better than what aew is drawing today so and i know people are going to hate on me and say it was easier to draw bigger numbers back then but um listen let's see where this thing goes because i'm not sure we know that aew is going to make it to the promised land uh it's easier to draw numbers in the beginning than it is to keep people watching and to grow the audience. Right. Well, and, and you know, you're exactly right. But again, in, in fairness to AEW, remember, you know, the numbers they're drawing, well, you know, they're exactly opposite NXT on USA. Right. So the, the numbers TNA had impact if memory is 
correct, and if I'm wrong, I'm sure the fans will let us know. When they were on Spike, they were the only wrestling show on that night on in that time frame. But, you know, in some ways you have to credit AEW because they're still drawing between 700,000 to a million people, and I, I don't know what the ratings are for NXT, but I'm sure they're probably, you know, at, at, at least – you know, a half a million. Yep. So, you know, it, it's like, you know, it's a little bit apples to oranges because, you know, Impact TNA, at least in their time slot on their night, was kind of running unopposed as opposed to AEW, which is, you know, Vince is running NXT exactly opposite, you know, and certainly uh, USA is every bit as big as TNT. Sure, and and thank you, Ken, because you just saved uh, you giving me uh, schooling me on that saved me from a bunch of hate mail from uh, from the listeners out there, the AEW apologists. But that's a great point. Uh, the wrestling audience, so NXT will draw generally between five hundred and seven hundred thousand. So you could make an argument that. You know, that's the alternative audience, uh, about a million and a half people. And uh, it's the same audience, the same million and a half that watch TNA. Um, what I would still challenge AEW and, and everybody out there, all the AEW fans, is they haven't gone beyond that. They're not going back and reaching into, there was 7 million people, give or take, that watched wrestling during the Attitude Era. And, and even more than that, that watched in the 80s that we're talking about. And they still exist. They're still out there in the world. And they were wrestling fans at one point. Nobody's gone out and successfully gotten them back. And I think it's the realism stuff that we talk about every week. Oh, I, I agree. You know, back in the attitude era, everyone said, well, you know, we know it's not real, but it was believable. You know, where, you know, you can argue back and forth, whether, a lot of fans, you know, said, you know, uh, this can't be real, but had that lingering doubt. But that aside, it was believable. When you were watching it, you would become invested into it. <clears throat> it's like uh, when the last Star Wars movie came out, you know, everybody walking into the theater knew it wasn't real. It, it, it was a fantasy but yet, during that two, two and a half hours in the theater, they became completely invested in it, you know, for that time frame. Right. And wrestling today, whether you like the entertainment factor, you know, what it's become or not, it's really entertainment that the believability factor just isn't really there anymore. And, and I think that's why you're seeing, you know, as you alluded to, Bruce, that, that kind of core of a million and a half viewers as opposed to the five to seven million viewers back in the day. Sure. Yeah. I no, Listen, preach it to the choir here. I, I, <laughs> I have, and then, and again, that's why we do the show because uh, 
this is this is where uh, at least my passion is and i think there's a good bit of people that probably agree with us listen ken i never read this guy's stuff but um there's a guy that calls himself the iron sheik i doubt that it is the iron sheik but uh comments every week so i'm going to read it and i'm going to um change the curse words uh so he says f you the ken resnick you're not just ken resnick you're the ken resnick so f you the ken resnick double double f I think that's WWF title match chic job to the jabroni Hogan a to Z don't matter if it's in the Madison square or the Salisbury, Maryland, or even corpse Christie, Texas. So um, I don't know what he's actually saying there. Ken, can you unpack what iron chic? So F F Ken Resnick WWF title match chic job to jabroni Hogan. I guess uh, this um, iron chic, wannabe is complaining that he's doing the job to hogan i'm just trying to give this guy some time um yeah uh you know people can you know love hulk hogan not like hulk hogan but uh considering his popularity considering what he did for wrestling uh using hulk and jabroni in the same sentence i i am sorry you know iron cheek wannabe that kind of blows your credibility <laughs> uh mauricio rc says you got to admire from a business point of view how vince was able to capitalize and build an empire taking advantage of the ignorant nature of old school promoters to establish his own rules and make his a legit business, despite wrestlers still being effed in the A to this very day. So this uh, Mauricio is saying, uh, I guess he's talking about, we were talking about Vince kind of buying out notice periods. You're not allowing people to serve out their notice periods. He, he broke the rules. So there was unwritten rules or written rules or whatever you want to say. Vince said, I don't care. I'm building a business and I'm making it a real business, not just these uh, territories. What do you think? Oh, I, I agree, you know, completely. You know, we talked about it. And when you talk about, you know, Vince McMahon, in the 80s there's the the good side in that if he had not had the foresight to see what television what wrestling could become it it never would have you know without vince we in all likelihood it would still be you know the the territories i not saying whether that would be a good thing or a bad thing but Vince had the foresight. Vince was able to marshal the forces, you know, to do this. So for that, you have to give Vince McMahon, you know, all the credit. You know, as you said, Bruce, they were unwritten rules that any other promoter or territory could have done that. You know, it was it unscrupulous. Probably, but again, you you can't argue, you know, with the results. But again, you can look back at Vince McMahon in the 80s and, and say, you know, focus on the unscrupulous. You know, there was an agreement. You wouldn't do this. You didn't do this. You respected everybody. Well, you know, 
okay, then you, you know, Vince can, you know, certainly do the the criticism. Uh, so I, I, you know, you you can look at it for from both sides, but uh, I, I think the bottom line is when um, Vince Jr. took over from Vince uh, Senior. Yeah, you know, I think you know the the business. You know, Vince was a, a millionaire. Well, he may have broke some rules, not contracts, just you know, unspoken rules. But Vince is now a, a billionaire. So I mean, uh, you know, all things aside, if you just look at the results, it's like you know, <clears throat> there, there's that. No matter what side you look at it, there's uh, you know. Vince won and you lost. <laughs> and, and I think, uh, you know, this guy talks at the end about wrestlers being um, effed in the A to this very day. What's your opinion? And, you know, I guess back in the day, uh, Jesse Ventura, and it was probably, I don't know if you were there yet, and we, we'll talk about it in a later episode, but, you know, Jesse tried to unionize. There's a lot of talk about Hulk Hogan uh, ratting him out. Uh, what's your opinion of the way Vince treated talent over the years? You know, not always treating them as independent contractors. They pay their travel costs. They, they pay their hotel costs and uh, no medical insurance, that sort of thing. What's, what's your, what's your take on that? You think that's fair? Uh, uh, I, I am <clears throat> surprised to this day <clears throat> that, Vince is still able to get away with characterizing the the his talent as you know independent contractors. Uh, but you know, be that as it may, um, Vince, when you know, and I've said it before, you know, back in the day, and I mean, from what I understand, it, it, it's still the same. Vince really has two rules. Rule number one, Vince is always right. Rule number two, if you think Vince is wrong, see rule number one. Um, but Vince, you know, other than the, the medical insurance and stuff, when you were there, I mean, he treated everybody pretty good. It's once he decided he, you know, didn't need you or didn't want you, he would kind of, you know, forget your name. Um, but on the other side of the coin, and I, I try and be as fair as I can to, to, to every side, um, even, you know, in the 80s, you know, there were still territories out there. But the the one thing Vince was doing, while well, you know, no health insurance, but Let's be honest. None of the other promotions gave you health insurance either. Right, I think right, right. because of, of his success, people try and point to Vince, but there was no health insurance in, you know, AWA or NWA or, you know, WCCW or, you know, WCCW. So, you know, he may not have provided it, but neither did anyone else. But on the flip side of the coin, Vince was suddenly paying you more than anybody else. So, you know, it was still, uh, you know, like I say, they want to complain about it, but they kind of knew what they were getting into. And <laughs> harken back that, you know, one of the things that, you know, prolonged 
Hulk's decision to make that jump in the conversation we had. He said, because Vern can give me the one thing Vince can't, and that was time off. Um, So, you know, everybody knew what, what, what they were, you know, getting into. And I I think in some ways, you know, Vince is being, you know, unfairly persecuted for, you know, not giving in health insurance, but neither was anybody else. You know, it's not like everybody else was and and Vince wasn't. Um, Yeah, I I mean, Jesse has been very open about, you know, he tried to, 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 you know, kind of behind the scenes, you know, get the, the guys to, to unionize, uh, <clears throat> whether it was Hulk that, you know, uh, dimed him out or somebody else, you know, whoever did, I, I'm not privy to, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, but, you know, Vince found out and, you know, uh, crushed it and but again let's be honest Vince is not the first business owner that found out his employees were thinking about unionizing and put the kibosh on it sure sure absolutely yeah yeah, I mean so it's like uh, you know I always said uh, a lot of ways you know I'll criticize Vince but you know at the same time I'll I'll praise him for the things he, he did right um and you know like you say and as you just alluded to a few minutes ago bruce you know how long is is aew going to last in that you know they're a year into it you know doing well but there's still that question on a lot of wrestling fans well you know how long uh, you know are the cons going to be willing to you know keep writing checks right um and I think it, it it really sums it up when people are wondering if AEW, given the success that they've had, you know, how long are they going to be able to keep going? How long are they going to survive? You don't really hear the same questions being asked about WWE. Sure. Have you seen uh, the lawsuit that Andrew, former presidential candidate Andrew Yang, is is uh, trying to wage against the WWE for, you know, the lack of insurance and all of the things that we just talked about. Have you seen that in the periphery? Uh, first, uh, <laughs> Andrew Yang, now uh, help me out, Bruce. Who did he wrestle for? Uh, <laughs> I don't know why he's taking up the cause, yeah. but yeah. Yeah. he's been calling out <laughs> WWE over – uh, them asking talent to sign new contracts uh, that basically preclude them from uh, using other social media platforms. Oh, I, think, oh, okay. I, I, I mean, I, I knew that. I, I was aware of that lawsuit. I just didn't know that Andrew Yang was behind it. Yeah, he's, uh, <laughs> he's, been, he's been leading the charge here. Well, maybe we'll talk about that some other time because we'll never get through 84 in this pace. Uh, Shooter Sharp says... Uh, I've had enough of experts admiring Vince's business acumen. So, uh, sorry, Shooter. But, I mean, the guy has built a billion-dollar business out of really, uh, you know, a small territory at, at one point. So, Yeah, I, I mean, uh, like I said, 
you may shoot or you may not like it, but you know the 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 facts are the facts, and the you know the uh, they're not alternative facts. That until the pandemic, they were a billion dollar plus company, and still you know. Uh, some of the house show, you know, and, and Monday Night Raw crowds may have been down, but they were still making money. Yeah. So, you know, you, you you may not like it, but uh, when you go from millionaire to billionaire, it's a pretty good bet you're doing something right. What is that uh, comment that I heard on the debate? You can make your own opinion, but you can't make your own facts. Something like that. Uh, 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 uh all I know is I can't wait for the next three weeks, <clears throat> and I agree it's entirely possible that, you know, with <clears throat> the, all the states, which just defines logic, that all these states have different rules on absentee ballots and, and everything else. All I know is come election night, the election night, the election results may not be decided but it'll be the end of the political commercials. Thank God. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, App in Oz, A-P-I-N-O-Z. I guess that's how to say it. Hogan winning the title at a house show was surely a no-brainer, given that house shows were the only places world titles did change hands. There were no pay-per-views. And then a similar comment and the final comment, if you're going to change it at a house show, uh, that's in, that's in quotes. Then uh, this is Todd M says, if you watched the WWF back then, you would have, you would have, even thought the title could change hands anywhere else but MSG. I don't know what what he's trying to say. Maybe he's saying wouldn't have. Anyway, yeah. there were no pay per views and TV squash matches and interviews, or TV was squash matches and interviews. This wasn't an if. It was. What month and MSG was Sheep going to drop the title to Hogan? So I think he's saying um, th there's no surprise it was, was going to happen at a house show. MSG was the place that it was going to happen because that's that's where how that's where the title changes happen. Yeah, I mean that, that's what we talked about it. It was their home arena, but you know uh, to to spin off that for a sec, Bruce. And again, you know people forget that you know as we got into the WWF in the 90s, periodically, you know, Vince would, you know, uh, throw the fans a bone where once in a while the tag belts or the intercontinental belt would change hands on TV. Sure. Yeah. You know, not all that often, but Vince was really one of the first that, you know, they would switch a belt, you know, on TV, which. Again, you know, he was building TV, could see what it would become. And even back then, where it was mainly all squash matches, he was smart enough to every once in a while make sure he gave fans a reason to tune in. Well, isn't that how the TV title came to be? And not in the WWE, but in other territories. It was, they won it because the, the world titles were only defended on the house show so they needed something they wanted something sure. for people to watch tv and and get surprised every once in a while for a title change right uh i i, I think that was part of it and uh that that's always one one of the things that to me is a little disappointing 
you know, in the 80s and, and 90s, title belts really meant something. That now there's so promotions have so many championships, there, there's almost as many wrestlers with titles as without. Uh, oh, yeah. it, it, in fact, I, um, and I, I, I might be mistaken, but I, I think. It was a week or two ago, I, I, you know, I was trying to catch a little bit of, of uh, AEW. Uh, they were talking about, you know, some guy had a title belt that admitted wasn't recognized anywhere and wasn't going to be defended, but he was still the, 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 the title holder and the champion. And I'm kind of going, you know, and I may have missed part of the backstory here, but I'm like, you know, holding up this title that, you know, isn't recognized or, you know, defended anywhere. I'm going like, what? <laughs> I mean, it's like, you know, uh, that that's one of the other things. I mean, you know, back in the day, you know, WWF had the heavyweight title, you know, the, the intercontinental title, the, the tag team titles and the, and the women's title. <laughs> um, you know, now there's, I mean, there's like, <clears throat> I think there's WWE titles, there's Raw titles, there's SmackDown titles, there's NXT titles. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, um, you know, there's the the WWE champion, the Universal champion, the Raw champion, the SmackDown champion. It's like, it's hard to, you need a scorecard to keep it straight. (laughs) Final uh, comment is from Kevin Tata Toothy Dunce. And uh, I think that's a play on Kevin Dunn. Some of the regional sports networks like MSG and others in Philly and Boston aired the house shows that happened at their local arenas, Spectrum, Boston Garden. The MSG ones ran from 1976 to 1997, although the WWWF was airing them on HBO prior to that for a few years. These shows are considered the pay-per-views of their time. I guess that's right. You know, uh, remember, I I hear all this stuff about house shows being, you know, you had to buy a ticket to see the event, and, you know, that's that's how they did it. It wasn't on TV. But the Hogan-Sheik match was on the MSG Network. Now, maybe it wasn't live, Ken, but... I don't think it, uh, it, it, it wasn't live. Um, you know, uh, even as, as I talked about last week, you know, I had the opportunity, uh, of doing color and working with gorilla monsoon. We did matches from, uh, Madison square garden. I, I used to say it was kind of the garden, uh, uh play out on, uh, the late singer, you know, Ricky Nelson, uh, Grill and I for a while kind of did the the garden party. We did you know Madison Square Garden, Boston Garden, and Maple Leaf Garden in Toronto, uh, and also quite a bit uh, from the Summit in Houston, where house show matches would be used on prime time and used in the other shows. And MSG would sometimes show a, a complete house show from Madison Square Garden, but it was you know a, a couple weeks after the fact. It, it, it wasn't done live. So if you wanted to see it happen and, and know what happened very quickly, you had to buy a ticket in those days. That yeah, was- I mean, and, and remember, back then there was still no Internet. Um, you know, obviously it would be covered and get out there, but it, it's not the, you know, instantaneous knowledge that, you know, you have today. I well- mean um, – yeah, you could wait for the results in the, the after magazines, but you might be waiting a few months. 
I guess Dave Meltzer's newsletter was also uh, what monthly at that time. But yeah, yeah, that that leads us to where we're at. So you know, we spent a lot of time. This is almost a mailbag episode, and um, you know, we'll take we'll go back and we'll rebook 1984 next week. Um, I do want to run down some of the other stuff before we go off the air this week. But remember, send your tweets to Bruce at, at Bruce VOC, or if you want to get really creative and put some time into it, send me at it's uh, Bruce at VOCNation.com. Send me your attempt at rebooking 1984. So if Hulk Hogan stayed in the AWA, what does the landscape look like? Does Vince wait to go and make his big move? Uh, and and uh, how does the WWF title picture look? How does the AWA look? And how does that affect the NWA territory? So give us your thoughts. And Ken and I will talk about that next week. Uh, Ken, so we talked a lot about January 23rd, 1984. We spent the last couple of weeks kind of talking through that. But February 4th, 1984, this was the very first Piper's Pit segment. It aired on WWF Championship Wrestling. Paul, Mr. Wonderful Orndorff, is the first guest, and he challenged the new WWF champion Hulk Hogan for the title. Uh, on that same weekend on WWF All-Star Wrestling, another Piper's Pit segment aired in which Piper read a letter supposedly written by Eddie Gilbert's father criticizing his decision to return to wrestling following his car accident a year earlier. So Roddy Piper, Piper's Pit, he's new in the WWF, fresh from a, uh, a stint with the NWA, uh, had a famous dog collar match with Greg Valentine. What do you remember about the first airing or so of Piper's Pit was that did that draw waves did that get get out to uh to you in Minnesota were people talking about it uh not originally because you know in 84 WWF wasn't on television in Minnesota right you know they were you know basically kind of a I-95 and up into you know Toronto and Montreal uh promotion uh it eventually got talked about because that was really the first time of any significance where a wrestler was given, you know, his own interview segment. Yeah. Um, so it, 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 I, I think what it did, a lot of wrestlers began to actually work a little bit more on their microphone skills where prior to that, it was really as much about their in-ring ability. And I think, you know, other wrestlers, as that segment grew in popularity, and at the same time, that segment not only grew in popularity, but that also grew Roddy Piper's popularity. Right. I mean, because he was very good at it. <clears throat> so I, I think that was kind of the beginning uh, before, <clears throat> you know, some wrestlers were, you know, were really good interviews, were <clears throat> good behind the mic, uh, and, and some weren't, but it was almost more, well, he's good, he's not. And the story where that was kind of where the wrestlers said, you know what, 
I got to get a little better at that. Jeez, uh, I can't believe that guy's got his own. And they began, you know, accordingly, his popularity grew. He got a bigger push, you know, moving up the cards. I mean, you know, everything started to snowball. And, and I think um, Roddy, as you rightly point out, it was him getting that Piper's Pit segment that really kind of focused a lot of the wrestlers where if you talk about, you know, to anyone that, that has a, a wrestling school today, they almost always, you know, focus on making sure the, the wrestlers can talk and do a good interview. Right. Uh, and, and I think, you know, Vince, again, you know, as we talked about, you know, having the foresight, uh, realizing, you know, what a great talker Roddy Piper was and, you know, wanting to, to not only give him a push in terms of in the ring, but, you know, outside of the ring, if you will. Yeah, and, and Ken, I think you said it, but that was really one of the first uh, kind of segments like that. You know, now we, we see they're, they're so watered down. Everybody has one. It, it almost seems like you got Ms. TV uh, is the, the one now. We've had the peep show, peep show with Christian. Jake Roberts had the snake pit. I mean, there's been tons over the years, but that was really the first one, right? Yeah, I, I mean, it, it was. And, you know, if you think about it, Vince and WWF had the ability to pretty much see who could really take it and, and, and run with it. And if you said, I mean, if you talk about in terms of those segments, you know, Piper's pit, Jake Roberts, the snake kit pit, uh, you know, Adrian Adonis with, with the flower shop, those are, are, are still kind of the gold standards that even way back when they they are still held as those were the best. Oh yeah, yeah. And and uh, if you look at March March twenty eighth was the the infamous Piper's Pit featuring Jimmy Superfly Snooker, where Piper uh, you know mocks and and does something you know racially insults him, something you'd never see today. Uh, and that happens at Hamburg, Pennsylvania, at, at uh, Agricultural Hall. And that's uh, famously, so, so two things there. Jimmy Snuka in the very famous, almost the f- most famous Piper's Pit segment, hit with that coconut. But the other part about that is, I, I remember I did an interview. I interviewed Hulk Hogan when I was on the radio in Philadelphia, WNJC Philadelphia 1360, little prop. I don't think it's still around. It was an AM station and there's not a whole lot of those left (laughs) in these days. But uh, Hogan was coming into Philadelphia for, uh, I think it was TNA bound for glory at the time. And he was talking about the Ag Hall, Agriplex. And uh, that's where all the WWF tapings were from 19, I think the 1960s all the way through 1984. Um, did you ever do any work at, at Ag, Ag Hall in, in Hamburg, Pennsylvania, right outside of Allentown? Or were that, was that right before you? Uh, that was right before me. I came in in 86, and by then uh, we were doing our American TV at Poughkeepsie, New York, and we were doing our Canadian TV in Brantford, Ontario, also more well-known as the home of Wayne Gretzky. You <laughs> love that hockey reference from Killer Ken. Uh, Ken, uh, we're going to wrap with this, and then 
uh, we'll we'll do the rebooking next week. There's still a whole lot that happened in in '84 across the wrestling world, so we'll we'll probably be in '84 for another couple of weeks. But April 6, 1984, and this is probably something that you were a little closer to. Ken Patera and Mr. Saito are arrested in Wakusha, Wisconsin, on charges of vandalism for throwing a Waukesha. 30- Waukesha. Yep. <laughs> Sorry about that, Midwesterners. <laughs> throwing a 30-pound boulder through a McDonald's window after being refused service after hours and assaulting police officers and resisting arrest in a subsequent brawl with local police at a hotel where they were staying. What do you remember about Ken Patera and Mr. Saito with uh, Olympic Ken, not Killer Ken, going to jail? Um, well, you know, I, 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 it was a house show. I, I wasn't there. Uh, we obviously heard about it in the office, uh, you know, early the, the next morning. Uh, I, I mean, it was unfortunate, you know, all around. Um, Ken, you know, went to McDonald's that had just closed. Uh, you know, he was fine, said, Hey, just let me buy, you know, what you got, you know, you know, already made, you know, you know, it's like walk into McDonald's, you know, it's not like it is now back then you could see the, you know, cheeseburgers and big Macs kind of stacked up under the heat lights and, you know, the manager said, no, I'm sorry, we're closed. You know, I can't, can't so I'll pay Ken now and I can't, can't do it. You know, and it was like, Ken was starving, saw the food. The guy wouldn't, you know, give it to him. Uh, Ken walked out, saw a brick, got mad, threw it through the window. Uh, and, you know, most guys were, I, I think the manager knew who he was. But uh, regardless, Ken just went, you know, walked back across the highway to the hotel uh, they were staying in and, you know, went to his room and then, you know, the, he was identified, the, the police break into the room and the guy I really feel sorry for was Saito. He was already sleeping. Uh, you know, all of a sudden there's people breaking in his room. He doesn't know what's going on and he starts swinging. Uh, and, uh, whether it was Patera or Mr. Saito, one of them threw a police officer who, you know, whether they knew in the dark or the room, I, I don't know, but ended up it was a female kind of threw the, you know, uh, paper mache, you know, uh, walls of the hotel room. Uh, and that police officer's father was the fire chief of Waukesha. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that kind of made the prosecutors out for blood. Uh, Waukesha had endured, go figure this, even back, you know, in the eighties, some police brutality charges. So it was just a really charged atmosphere. Um, I, I don't think Vern really took it serious in that they just had their, you know, normal business lawyer <clears throat> go down and we're going to defend them. Uh, and the prosecutors in Waukesha, you know, were, were out for blood. I mean, here's two pro wrestlers that beat up their officers that were, you know, there for a legitimate reason. Um, so it, it was tough. Um, <clears throat> The the kind of in-house joke was poor Saito 
they both got sentenced to, to two years in, in prison. Uh, he said, well, you know, Saeed will check in, go to sleep, and two years later he'll get up and walk out. Um, uh, you know, he got out, uh, and if memory serves, they were supposedly on probation. Saito went back to Japan, and I don't know that he ever came back in this country again. Um, uh, Ken Patera, uh, was pretty bitter about the, the whole thing. Uh, and, you know, I, it took him a long time or, you know, to, to really, uh, you know, get, get over it. It was, it was sad on all fronts, sure. you know, it was really the only way to, to, uh, characterize it. I mean, uh, they, you know, Ken was guilty of throwing the brick through the window, but everything after that, that, that happened was, was pretty sad. Uh, you know, in reality, he may, you know, you know, had to throw a brick through a, a window probably would have been looking at, you know, a, a heavy fine, yeah, maybe 30 days, you know, some community service or something. And it all escalated into, you know, two guys serving, you know, two years in prison. Yeah. Uh, I think so. So he, if I'm not mistaken, that happened. He jumped to the WWF, I guess, while the whole trial was happening, wrestled, uh, he was part of the Heenan family, and then he served the sentence from like '85 to '87. Does that sound about right? Uh, I think so. Um, I, you know, you, you would be better on this. Um, he went to the WWF after he got out of prison. I, I don't know one way or the other if he had gone before the sentence or not, but certainly after and was part of the Heenan family in uh, WWF after he got out. Got it. Well, and, that's... I mean, it, it, it was hard. I mean, uh, it, it, the whole thing uh, kind of, you know, uh, cost him uh, his marriage. He and his wife, Nancy, at the time, uh, you know, got divorced. And I mean, it was just, it, it was sad on, on so many, you know, counts. Yeah, I mean, I can't even imagine having to endure that and and the strain that that would cause on on anybody's marriage and and for something that started out so so silly. I mean, it it, it really is. So you go into uh, McDonald's after hours and you argue with the manager about getting a a burger because you're hungry after a long night, and uh, you know the next thing you know, your your whole life is affected. And um, you know, it, you it know, just. And, 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 and... And the thing is, Bruce, it, it was like right at closing because they hadn't even locked the door. He walked in, you know, the lights were on, the door was still open. So, yeah, you didn't know, break in. If, <laughs> no, I mean, it's like if McDonald's was, you know, closing at midnight, he might have walked in at 1201. I mean, you know, it, it wasn't, you know, I mean, you can, uh, say that you know the manager if, if the food was you know whatever food they made sell him whatever you know 
split it between the employees and whatever money. You know, I, I mean, it was like it, it was, you know, the worst case scenario all around. Um, you know, if, if he'd been gotten there two minutes later, the door might have been locked. He might have just gone back to the hotel and looked for a candy bar. Uh, you know, it was just uh, uh, whatever could have gone wrong did go wrong. Yeah, yeah, uh, very unfortunate. It looks like just uh, for you know for all the fans that are going to fact check us, looks like so that was that happened right as Patera was finishing up with the AWA. So as the trial was going on and and all that stuff was happening, he had jumped to the WWF. So he was part of the Heenan family in eighty four, eighty five. You know, he's he worked working with uh, Stud and Andre the Giant and uh, feuding with Andre the Giant, um, working with Bobby Heenan. Then he went out, served that sentence from 85 to 87. They brought him back as a babyface using the whole rehabilitation angle and, and all that stuff. But very unfortunate for Ken Patera and Mr. Saito. And uh, that is the end of our time today. Another very fast hour, Ken, as we go through the annals of time 1984 uh on wrestling with history and again i want to encourage you give us your feedback uh comment on the wrestling websites when you see our shows come up if that's what uh where you you best like to comment there's a lot of fans i see that get active in the forums there you can send us an email to bruce at vocnation.com tweet at bruce voc the network twitter is at is uh, at voc nation but uh you know this show we generally use the Bruce VOC Twitter to, to track everything. So do that. Go on your favorite podcast house, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star rating. Subscribe. It helps the shows. And uh, we'll, um, we, we very much appreciate it. I'll leave it at that. So that's all the time we have for today. Remember, we want your rebooking of 1984. If Hulk Hogan stays with the AWA, what dominoes fall? What happens in New York? What happens down south? And what happens in Minnesota? Ken and I will be talking about that next week and a bunch more. We'll read your feedback. But for now, that's it. This has been Wrestling With History Worldwide in the VOC Nation Radio Network. Right here is the future of wrestling.